0: Well, good morning, everyone. Um, that was a very good communion, but I couldn't help but laugh that it's a place where everyone knows your name but can't spell it, apparently. <laughs> and I would like to put the blame on someone else. I would love to, but I think that was my bad. So I'm sorry, Courtney. I just think if you mess with her the wrong way, she might catch your shin. So I think that's where I probably got it from. Um, if, if kids are here, you're, you're welcome to be dismissed to go across the hall to Children's Ministry. Um, it's, it's, it's a good morning. It's a great morning. Um, first off, we have Brian back. We get Brian back, finally. We've been dying here without you. Um, I, I have a thousand jokes I'd like to say, but honestly, just, it's good to have you back, brother. I hope you had a good rest. hope you had a good time. Um, if you get a chance, you should go up and ask him how it was, because it sounded absolutely incredible. You got to see what the Disney castle was based on, which is every little boy's dream. So, um, so please go talk to him and ask him. Um, Also, we are, I guess technically the church camping trip is still going on until noon today, right? Um, So we were camping this weekend. Um, Thank you to Kathy Howard, who did an absolutely insane job. Um, I can honestly say with 100% integrity, I did nothing. Um, and she just planned everything, and she did an absolutely amazing job. We just got to show up, and we just had delicious food and great times, and we went on hikes, and we played volleyball, and we played card games, and it was an absolutely incredible time. And Fred and Kathy, they put, um, like, a home base station, and so they were like, oh, you want to cook stuff? Here's a grill. Oh, you brought dogs? We have a cage for them. Oh, you, and they just had everything. And it was incredible. There were about 40 people there, um, and I think 10 dogs. Um, and, and one dog was 120 pounds, another dog was 8 pounds. So, and they didn't all get along, including my dog, which was kind of the annoying one for everyone. Um, that's what you get with huskies. Um, but then there was this moment last night, we were all sitting around, there's probably 40 of us, and we're just like, we're sitting on the ground, we're sitting in shit, we're just like, it's everyone's scattered around this campsite, and we're just eating good food, playing music, and playing games, and uh, Nicholas brought out his banjo, and John Root brought out his guitar, and they just start playing and jamming, and then they start singing worship, they start singing um, Lord, Reign and Me. And then as they were playing, it was so impactful, it was so powerful, that it actually broke a tree. Um, I think we have a picture of it. Um, this, so that's hard to see. It's like, like, it's like this thick, and it like broke in the middle of everyone, like, that tree fell in the middle of, like, everyone. Also, shout out to Charlie for taking the photo. Credit where credit is due. Um, and it fell, like, in the middle of everything. Luckily, no one was hurt um, that I'm aware of. If you were hurt, I'm sorry that I did not mention it, but I'm pretty sure nobody was hurt. Um, and so I just like to think that our, our worship is so incredible it breaks trees. Or it's God throwing a warning shot. Either way, either way, I think it was because of worship. Um, But I'm I'm happy to be here this morning. We get to uh, finish up in this mini-series that I've been able to lead on parables, and this has been just an incredible joy and blessing to me to be able to walk through these, to be able to plan professionally three at a time. Um, It's been amazing, but we've been able to look at these parables, these short stories, these short, simple stories, um, and although they are short and simple, they have incredible implications. And that we tend to read parables, and we can often read them as these short stories that give us like an ethical ending. Like, Johnny went to the store and stole, and he got, he got attacked, so don't steal like Johnny. You're like, okay, got it, I shouldn't steal, that's cool. But they actually have some incredible impact. They have much more deep importance than just these simple um, ethical explanations. They're much deeper than that. This is the last time I'll put this quote up, I promise. But N.T. Wright says this, Parables are not earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Rather, they are the expression of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. These parables are a way that Jesus is going, you thought the world worked this way. You thought the kingdom of heaven would be this way. But in fact, it's actually different. It's different than the way you expected. You thought this, but actually this. Jesus is changing the value of the way that we operate in life. So when we read parables, we need to read them specifically through the perspective of Jesus first, and then the kingdom of heaven. And then after all of that, our part is, what? how are we involved in all of that? And we talked about how parables and stories in general are so important to the Jewish culture. It's how they shared information. It's how they entertained each other. They would just sit around... Um, while they worked, while they had dinner, while they did everything and they would just share stories of Yahweh and the prophets and these heroes of old of faith and they would just talk about it. These people are just worshiping and sitting on the words of scripture, sitting on the words of these stories that they're being told and waiting for this Messiah. They're being waiting for this Messiah and then the Messiah shows up and they're excited to meet him and they're excited for him to talk about the kingdom of heaven and they go and they see this guy he calls himself Jesus and he's, in the, he's sitting by the Sea of Galilee and they're like alright all right, he's going to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like and then Jesus is like it's like an army flooding from heaven it's like a volcano actually it's like a mustard seed the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that's going to grow slowly but it will and it will eventually be so big that you can't not notice. It will be unavoidable. And also, to all you farmers out there, you guys don't actually know how seeds grow. You don't actually know. You see that they grow, but you don't know how they grow. So also is the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be small. It's going to grow in a way you don't understand. And then it will just be there. And then they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what, this is not the Messiah we thought. We thought you were going to come and destroy regimes and be this powerful thing, this powerful figurehead. You would going to make geopolitical change. And then he's like, no, no, I got more parables. I'm like, all right, here's the good stuff. I got stuff about sheep. I got stuff about farmers. I got stuff about coins. I got stuff about you and me. I got everyday stories, everyday things to relate to you. And although they seem simple, they are enormous importance when it comes to jesus and when it comes to the kingdom of heaven the first week we talked about a treasure hidden in the field a guy who just he sees how incredible this treasure is and so he sells everything to get it that jesus is so important jesus is so amazing he's so incredible he surpasses everything else that we could ever imagine that we'd be willing to give up everything And that's not to say that what we have isn't valuable. It's not to say our jobs, our our finances, our relationships, everything in life isn't important. But it's just to say that we're not decreasing our values and things. We're just increasing Jesus. We're just saying he is so much better. He far surpasses everything. We focus on Jesus. Then last week we talked about the unforgiving servant, or as I wanted to call it, the forgiving king. Because you see this king who has forgiven his servant $10 billion worth. $10 billion And when we read this parable, we shouldn't just go right to, well, how should I forgive? We should first stick on Jesus and go, you have done so much for me. You have done an incredible thing, and you have forgiven me. And then we should take that idea and then apply it to how we treat others. Have this Jesus filter. God, I have harmed you so many times, and I'm going to continue to harm you probably (laughs) because I'm broken. But because you've done so much for me, and because you've forgiven me, even though I've harmed you, this person who's harming me, I can still forgive you even though you're harming me. And then we finished last week by saying, just because you're in a bad situation that requires forgiveness, doesn't mean you have to stay there. Forgiveness and expulsion are not exclusive. You can forgive something and also get out of a situation. If you're in a toxic relationship, a toxic work environment, whatever that is, doesn't mean you have to stay in it, but we are still called to forgive in it. And so this morning, we're going to look at another parable. And we're going to try and do those same keys and things. We're going to try and look at where's Jesus in the story. We're going to try and look at where's God in the story, kingdom of heaven, and then how do we fit in it. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open it up, but it'll also be on the screen. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1 through 12, and it is the parable of the wicked tenants. Some just call it the parable of the tenants. And it says this, And he, Jesus, began to speak to them parables. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son, surely. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that they had told the parable, that he had told the parable against them. So they led him and went away. So we have a guy has a vineyard. He leaves it. He leaves tenants in his place. And then he starts sending servants to go collect some of his stuff from the vineyard. And one by one, they start killing or beating or shaming these servants until finally the owner goes, all right, I'll send my son. Sends a the son. They have to respect him, as we can predict. They do not. Kill the son. And then Jesus puts in this little um, commentary, this commentary from an Old Testament text, Psalm 118, he throws in there as well. And so um, before we get into it, obviously I love context. I love the context surrounding this. Um, This is the start of chapter 12 in in your Bibles, but chapter 11 starts off with the triumphal entry. And so it's Jesus, you know, on the donkey, the colt, he's riding into Jerusalem, this holy city, palm fronds, everyone's cheering his name, everyone's like celebrating Jesus coming, coming in, the Messiah's coming. And then immediately, I like to say then from there, Jesus like comes in hot. Like from there, he like sees a fig tree and is like, curse that thing. I'm done with that fig tree. And then he goes right to like cleansing the temple and flipping tables. And then he goes right from there to seeing his uh, authority challenged by Pharisees. And then we have this parable. I, I, this isn't what happened. It says a bunch of days passed between these events, but I like to imagine Jesus like, got off his donkey and then just started flipping stuff and just said, I'm done, I'm out of here. Because a lot of scholars will suggest that <laughs> Jesus' actions, and especially the parables, tend to get more provocative the closer he gets to death. Kind of the closer he gets to Jerusalem, the closer he gets to the cross, because we all would agree, hopefully, that he knows he's going to die. And so he kind of starts picking the pace up a little bit. And this this parable starts off, and then he began to speak to them. And so the them is the passage just above, which is his authority challenged. Which, (laughs) I love that right before this one, because the Pharisees and chief priests come to Jesus, and they say, hey, like, whose authority are you speaking on? What are you talking about? Who are you? What's going on? And Jesus is like, okay, I'll answer your question with a question. John the Baptist, his baptism, was that done by man or by spirit? And they're like, well if I say this, they'll hate me. If I say this, they'll hate me. So I don't know. I don't know Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, cool. You don't know. I'm also not going to tell you what I, who I speak from. I'm not going to tell you also. And then he goes into a parable about exactly that. <laughs> then he goes right into a parable where he's like, well, I'm going to tell you actually exactly who I am. And so he's like kind of setting them up for failure. And so the them in this parable is the Pharisees. And so again, we want to try to not immediately see this from our perspective. We want to do our best to see it about Jesus and from, in this case, the Pharisees' perspective. Because Jesus is trying to tell, call out and tell the Pharisees something. And so the Pharisees in this story, these, these religious leaders, are the tenants. It's the ones that get leased the vineyard. Other characters are God is the owner of this vineyard. He's the guy who operates it. Um, leaves for another country. Not positive what that means, but it's exciting. Um, maybe he goes to another planet. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, maybe back to heaven. And then he starts sending his messengers, his servants. These people can be seen as old prophets, old messengers of the Old Testament, just people that God sent out to fulfill his plan, his mission, his destiny. And all these people keep getting rejected, rejected, rejected. And then Jesus in the story could be seen as the son who finally gets killed. And so now that we kind of have the character set up a little bit, um, Let's try to find the, part, the main part of this story, the main part of Jesus. Where is Jesus in the story? And I think the key to that is actually in the commentary that Jesus puts here. And I love it. This happens occasionally where the Bible commentate on itself, which is super helpful because sometimes you read a commentary from an outside source and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I trust Dave. I mean, I don't know if I, don't know, I, don't know if I trust Ashley. Like that sounds cool, whatever. But like when Jesus himself says what a psalm is saying, you're like, got it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And it happens actually a lot in the New Testament. It's pretty fun. And so here, Jesus is quoting um, Psalm 118. And uh, please do not put it up quite yet, but I would like to walk through it. And I think it's important because to see this from the perspective of the Pharisees, we need to understand what the Pharisees are thinking while it's going on. And we've talked about how these stories are, people, are stories of the Old Testament that everyone probably knows already, but especially the Pharisees. They're going to know when Jesus says this quote, they're going to immediately get shot back to their studies. They're going to immediately get shot back and know the story and know the context and know what's going on. They're going to know the whole psalm. So in order for us to understand kind of what Jesus is going for, I think we also need to read the whole psalm. And so it's a little long, I apologize, but it's a very good psalm and you guys might know it, Psalm 118. It goes like this, deep breath. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. As my helper, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me. They they surrounded me. Surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, who blesses you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the fossil sacrifices with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God; I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever. Thank you for bearing with that. Um, this this psalm does something really cool, um, literarily called bracketing inclusio, which is where it starts and finishes the same way, um, which is important because it's kind of described um, very eloquently as a sandwich. Um, and in a sandwich, nutritionally, the meat is the most important part, but it's all held together by the bread. And so everything that happens in between the first and last things needs to still coincide with it. So nothing in between in the psalm can ever take away from the fact that God is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And so the reason why this psalm is so important and why I think Jesus goes after the Pharisees with this is because immediately these Pharisees are going to get taken to that text and go... Jesus, are you the guy that's being talked about in this psalm? Because the psalm is describing distress of this person. We don't know who the author is. Some people think it's David, but we're not positive. This this person goes through a bunch of phases. They thank God, they pray to God, they ask for salvation, and then ultimately they do get saved and they get entered into this holy city, into this place. And this is a psalm about the Messiah. This is a psalm about God saying he's going to protect his people, saying he's going to rise up and destroy the enemy and do all of that. And those are the types of Psalms, those are the type of texts that have led tons of people to think, okay, Jesus the Messiah, is going to be this triumphant military leader. He's going to come and destroy. This is a text that immediately after Jesus says it, these Pharisees are going, Oh shoot. Are you saying you're that guy? You're this stone that we're rejecting? You're this cornerstone? Because what that text is saying is this thing that's being rejected is the center of everything. It is the reason everything exists. It is the point. The cornerstone is the most important foundational part of these buildings. It is everything. And this psalm, most people would agree, is written somewhere between 700 to 1,000 years ago. There have been years and years, thousands of years of people waiting for these to be fulfilled. And Jesus is sitting here, and by saying this, he's saying, that thing you knew from a thousand years ago you've been studying is happening right now. This kingdom of heaven that I was talking about, that God has been talking about, that Yahweh has been talking about, is happening right here, right now, as we're talking. Every sentence I finish is that parable, is that psalm being fulfilled. I, Jesus, am the cornerstone. I am the center of everything. I am the beginning, I am the end. I was with, I am the word. I was the beginning, I was with the word. I am everything here. And God has been planning it since the beginning. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous. God has been setting up his plan, his kingdom. He's been sending, all, he's set up Adam and Eve. They failed, they well, failed, they fell. He sent prophets, he sent sons, they've been destroyed, they've been kicked out. And then God said, okay, I'm going to do this still. I'm still going to send my son, and he is going to finish it all. Jesus is everything. He has been planned. He has been there. He has been always been plan A, has been Jesus to come and be with us and to die and to die on the cross for all of us. That was never plan B. That was never plan C. It is completely within God's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're seeing this idea and they're rejecting it. And the (laughs) the psalmist is saying, yeah, but to us, this is marvelous. To us, this is incredible. This thing we don't deserve is being completely given to us. It's been planned for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That is absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd that for thousands of years, and Jesus standing right in front of them and going, that's me. And then I love how the ESV finishes it. It says that they perceived, the Pharisees perceived that the parable was about them. Like they're just listening and they're like, wait, me? Well, I'm not, I I think he's talking about me, but that's gonna make people angry, so I'm just gonna leave him alone. Like literally the parable, they're talking about how he's going to get rejected. They're rejecting him. (laughs) And if you've ever heard people walk around, if you've ever heard friends or anyone say something like, well, Jesus didn't know he was gonna die. That's out of the ordinary. No one expected that. Jesus wasn't expecting to die. His his plan didn't work. He didn't bring the kingdom of heaven. He didn't do what he said he was going to do. For thousands of years, it has been planned that the kingdom of God is Jesus coming and Jesus dying, that Jesus knows it's going to happen. Everyone knows it's going to happen. Jesus dying is completely part of the plan. It's this weird Christian bittersweet moment where we say, man, it is awful that Jesus had to die. Of course, that's terrible, the torture, the misery, my savior, how awful. And then also on the other side, we go, well, thank goodness. (laughs) Hallelujah, thank goodness, because if he didn't, we'd be in trouble. It's been planned since the beginning. These parables, the way we read scripture, the way we look at it, the way we look at our faith, other stuff matters. Don't hear me say other stuff doesn't matter, but Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is everything. Jesus is the point. Jesus is everything. It would be easier to read this parable and be like, cool, I'm just going to try not to reject Jesus. I'm just going to not reject him. I'm going to focus on him. But we need to go the step back and say, what is this saying? Jesus has always been the plan. And then I think this text says something very big about the kingdom of heaven in general. Um, It says in the text that the vineyard is going to be taken away from the tenants. The tenants are going to be destroyed. and He's going to give the vineyard to others which I think it's a small part of the text, but I think it's a very big deal as well because, like I said, Jesus, God has been planning this entire, his entire kingdom from the beginning, and they keep rejecting keep rejecting him, and now he's saying, okay, well, that didn't work. I'm gonna send my son. He's gonna die, and then my vineyard is gonna go to other people, <laughs> and that's important because the other people are us. <laughs> we are the other people. Everyone else is the other people. I mean, there are tons of also parables and texts about, there's a parable, one, about the wedding feast, with a host, host throws this huge party. And as one by one, all of his invited guests make an excuse. Um, one is like, oh, I just got oxen, so I have to weigh them. One's like, oh, I have this work thing to do. And then one is like, I just got married, so I have to go. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to use that excuse one day. <laughs> I just got married. I got, like, he just blames it on his wife. He's like, I got to go. <laughs> and so the, the host is like, well, okay, I don't care. Okay, you guys are out then. Go Go anywhere. Go find anyone. There is no one who my house is not open to anymore. There is no one that my house is not open to. The crippled, the lame, the tax collectors, the sinners, the rich, the poor. No one, no one is out of my house now. Bring everyone you can find. This kingdom, this vineyard is for absolutely everyone because previously, if we read the Old Testament especially, we see that there's sometimes some rules and things in place. There's high priest, there's holy places, there's things you have to do in order to attain sort of like an audience with God. There's the Ark of the Covenant, there's all these rules and stipulations. And here, Jesus as the cornerstone is shattering all of that. And he's saying, no, my presence, I as God am here with you forever. I'm opening it up to all of you. There is no one who is outside my kingdom. There is nobody who is outside my love. Absolutely no one. If you've ever wondered if you've done anything to be outside of God's love or you ever wondered if you're not part of his kingdom or part of this plan, I would encourage you to rethink it. I would encourage you to rethink it. Because texts like this have been planned, show us they've been planned for thousands of years that God always planned to include you in his kingdom. For thousands of years, he always intended for you to be part of it. We talked last week about how there's so many texts that show God just cares so desperately for the lost. He cares so desperately to grow his kingdom. He cares so desperately with so much compassion and joy that his inward parts move with compassion, with love. A simple parable like this could easily be read and just go, got it, the Pharisees messed up. That's not me. Cool, I believe in Jesus. But there's so much deep history here. This is thousands of years coming to fruition in this moment. And the kingdom of heaven is open to everyone, to anyone who just trusts in Jesus, who says Jesus is who he says he is. He came to die. And it still blows me away. I never want to read the gospels and not ever take for granted the fact that Jesus knew he was gonna die and kept going through with it. that the the kingdom of heaven didn't fail when Jesus died. The kingdom of heaven started when Jesus died. The kingdom of heaven came to fruition when he raised from the dead and gave all of us his spirit and said, you guys are all part of this. There's nothing special anymore about any of you or you're all special, whichever way you wanna look at it. (laughs) There's no special priest, there's nothing special. No No one is unique in my kingdom anymore. We're all our children. These Pharisees are hearing this and they're going, Well, little do you know, Jesus, we're about to kill you. We're about to hunt you. We're about to trap you. We're about to kill you. And all of this Jesus stuff will be over. And Jesus lays it out in front of their face. You're only fulfilling what's been prophesied. You're only fulfilling what I've planned for thousands of years. You think that you're turning me down. You're actually making me stronger. I didn't plan this, but I think that's what Obi-Wan said, right? (laughs) Strike me down, Darth. And I will come back stronger than ever. (laughs) (laughs) It was a dumb tangent. (laughs) But I thought of it, so I have to say it. (laughs) But we have gained our strength through Jesus' death. We have gained our strength through Jesus' death. There is nothing that separates us from the love of Jesus because of his death. There is nothing that takes you away from him because of his death. There is nothing that you can do or have ever done that would ever take you away from the love of God because of his death whenever we read anything in scripture, whenever we read parables, whenever we read any of this, I would encourage you, look to Jesus. Because the hope of every sermon, I, I, I can't speak for other preachers, I can speak for me, is my hope in every sermon is that we get encouraged in Christ, we learn something. But I also hope that we get encouraged to read the Bible for ourselves and to go, got it, that's, if that's what Austin's saying, maybe I can see that too. When you read scripture, look for Jesus. He's the cornerstone, he's the capstone, he's the everything. In him is everything. He's better than everything. In him, you get the power to forgive everything. In him, you get the power to be gracious, to be kind, to be passionate, to be happy, to be content. doesn't mean bad things won't happen. doesn't mean life won't turn out the way you didn't expect it. But it does mean that you will always have redemption and a home in God's kingdom. And I'm very thankful to have a God who, it's really hard for me to fathom, but for thousands, I mean, in God's perspective, infinitely, he's been planning this. He's got a room special for me. He's got Austin written over it. it has got Courtney Ketchershin. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for you. Waiting for me. I'm very thankful to have a God like that. Will you guys please pray with me as we step into some more worship? Hey, Heavenly Father God, we, we just thank you that uh, you have done everything you can. You have fought tooth and nail. You have fought so hard against us to improve us, to help us. The more that we reject you, the more that you still continue to fight. When, it, when we as sheep wander away, you don't just let us go, you come and chase us. When we have rejected you over and over, you keep sending servants and we keep throwing them back and yet every time we throw them back, you keep sending more and then you sent your son to be the ultimate sacrifice. God, when we read your book, when we read your scripture, I pray that we would be enlightened by you. We would be filled up with Jesus. We would be filled up with you. God, we're so thankful on this side of the cross we get a book where we get to read about your stories. We get to read about your adventures. God, we are so thankful for what you've done for us. Help us to never take that for granted. Help us to write eternity on our hearts so that we can worship you in word and in deed. God, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for what you've done for us. In your perfect name, amen.